Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello everyone and welcome back to a brand new DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you guys are all doing well and staying safe wherever you are around the world and that goes out especially to those of you in the Emilia-Romagna region that is currently being affected by the floods and all of the horrible events going on down there at this point in time. Our thoughts are out there with you guys here at DNF1 so we hope that you are okay and if you are in distress hope things get better soon. Now, of course, before we get into the episode, just a quick clarification or explanation, especially if you're watching this on YouTube and thinking, oh, this looks a little bit different to what we're used to. And that's because of the news that we received from Formula One on Wednesday afternoon at the point I'm recording this to you. And that is that the um, Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix this weekend at Imola has been cancelled. And for those of you following that has been because of the atrocious weather that has been going on in the region, the floods and all the devastation and complications that it has been causing right now. And as a result, F1 and everybody involved has decided to cancel this weekend's Grand Prix. I'm just going to read a statement from Formula One on this news. And they write that the Formula One community wants to send its thoughts to the people and communities affected by the recent events in the Emilia-Romagna region. We also want to pay tribute to the work of the emergency services who are doing everything they can to help those in need. Following discussions between Formula One, the president of the FIA, the competent authorities, including the relevant ministers, the president of the Automobile Club of Italy, the president of the Emilia-Romagna region, the mayor of the city and the promoter, the decision has been taken not to proceed with the Grand Prix weekend in Imola. The decision has been taken because it is not possible to safely hold the event for our fans, the teams and our personnel. And it is the right and responsible thing to do, given the situation faced by the towns and cities in the region. It would not be right to put further pressure on the local authorities and emergency services at this difficult time. And I think we can all agree that that is the right decision. And I know a lot of you F1 fans out there will understandably be a little bit disappointed that we're not going to be going racing this weekend. But I think we can all agree that during difficult times like this, as we often saw over the last few years, there are some things more important than sport. And I think we can all agree that this certainly meets that criteria right now. And I know a lot of you also will ask, you know, following this news story, why has F1 decided to wait until now to cancel the Grand Prix I think I think we have to give F1 some credit in situations like this and everybody involved it's not an easy decision to make especially given the race at the point of time of recording is still a fair few days away and the situation can improve unlikely to be sufficient enough to have a Grand Prix but it's an understandable opinion but I do feel 
I do feel F1 has waited as long as it probably possibly could to give it a chance. And I do think that they have acted fairly in haste and made the right call at the right time. So I think we have to give credit where credit is due quite often. um, Well, I mean, if we think a few years back to the Australian Grand Prix in 2020 before uh, the pandemic started, we know how much of a fast that was because they tried to wait as long as possible and fans and personnel and teams were all there ready to go. And then they cancelled the race at the last minute, which upset a lot of people, understandably. And whilst it was the right decision to do that, it certainly was done a lot later than it should have been done. So I think given what we've learned from the past and you know how many people could have thought they could have waited a bit longer, I think they've made the right decision at the right time. So I think we have to uh, give them credit where credit is due. And right, I think, you know, what's most important is the part that they mentioned about the local authorities and the emergency services. Given they're going to be at a premium anyway in terms of helping people and their resources are going to be allocated all across the region to help those that are currently in distress and suffering as a result of these floods, I think it's the right decision to make because F1 doesn't want to take any of that away. I mean, you know, for example, you've got all of that going on. The last thing F1 wants is to be looked at in such a bad way because they are taking emergency services away just to have a Grand Prix. Nobody wants to do that. So it makes absolute sense for F1 to make this decision. And I absolutely commend them for doing that and everybody involved in putting the right priorities first. So well done to everyone involved. And it's good to see that once again, you know, at times of need, sport is pushed aside and is secondary to the real, real issue. So a good decision on then. Other teams have reacted to this news and drivers as well. Alpha Tauri, the local team that have their factory in Fianza, have responded and they were talking about how concerned they were about the events and also those involved. Mercedes, uh, Sir Lewis Hamilton, Lando Norris, Haas, Gunther Steiner, Hulkenberg, Lando Norris, so many teams and drivers getting involved straight away to respond and all in agreement that this race should not go ahead and that the priority are those that are currently in need. So good to see the F1 community are bounding together for the right causes at the expense of a race and there's plenty of races this season so you know if we have to cancel one when these things happen then so be it there are more important things than sport especially formula one at this point in time but of course guys you're probably wondering what is going to happen for the rest of this podcast episode i can assure you that during the preview that we recorded last night myself and lee wallington on the dnf1 panel even though we do our predictions for the race weekend, those aren't going to be included in this particular episode. However, we did have a good discussion about a few topics heading into this weekend, and that was the future of Nick DeVries potentially being under pressure from Alpha Tauri, and in particular, Dr. Helmut Marko at Red Bull over whether or not he can prove that he should still be in this car after a very difficult start to the season and potential options that Alpha Tauri may have to explore. In the meantime, if Nick DeVries isn't up to speed, we also talked about the new qualifying tyre format, which is going to be experimented at another venue this year. Obviously, it was meant to be experimented at Imola, but that's not going to be happening because there's no race this weekend. We'll talk about that. And we also talk about the potential for upgrades that were meant to be happening this weekend, which I'm sure will either go on next weekend at Monaco and Barcelona, and in particular, focus on Ferrari and Mercedes as to whether or not these upgrades can help them close the gap to Red Bull. 
So plenty to get on with in this episode. I'm going to pass you over to the discussion myself and Lee had. And as always, guys, make sure to subscribe and uh, you know follow us on your favourite pod platform, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts from. But until then, guys, stay safe and we will see you in the next one. So the first topic I wanted to talk about, Lee, and this was a question that came into us earlier on, and it's based on the news and Alpha Tauri. So the first question for this episode... What are your thoughts on the rumours that AlphaTauri are already looking to replace Nick DeVries, potentially with Daniel Ricciardo? I mean, firstly, I, I think there's probably some truth behind it. Um, I, it's not a, wouldn't be a surprise at all that the Red Bull management, um, not just the team, but I mean, obviously, overall, the two the two teams respectively, aren't pleased at how the AlphaTauri are performing as a team. Um but where they're sending the constructors and obviously the representation of the AlphaTauri clothing brand and the greater Red Bull family. Um, so it's wouldn't be a surprise that there's some been internal discussion about threatening an improvement. And we know how ruthless the Red Bull um, Driver Academy can be and some of the other careers that have been caught short and the drivers have gone on to be very successful in other categories. Um, Sebastian Bremi being a prime example. Um so I wouldn't be surprised. But Daniel Ricciardo, obviously, he, was, he had the opportunity to be on the grid this year, but he didn't want to be fighting at the back. He wants to be in a top team or he wants to be fighting at least for podiums or wins. And especially how AlphaTauri have been this year, I'm not sure that would meet what Daniel is expecting or what he wants to be on the, to be on the grid. Because um, based on... Yuki's results, he'd be P11 for, <laughs> uh, or fighting Yuki for P11 for every race, which is not really where he would want to be. Um, so it is, a, it is a tough one, I think. But at the same time, you could say Daniel's got a point to prove that he hasn't lost it. McLaren really hurt his reputation apart from that one win in Monza. Um, so if he can do some magic wonders in the, um, the AlphaTauri, he may get him some in the contention with obviously the Red Bull seat, which is be his prime goal of displacing Sergio. Um, but uh, I really think there's a good chance he could be ending that um, AlphaTauri as much as he probably doesn't want to be in that part of the grid. That was hearing that rumours that Daniel Ricciardo was in Fianza near AlphaTauri's factory to have a seat fitting. Now, that wasn't necessarily true. He was in Fianza, but it was to attend Lance Stroll's sister's wedding. So, you know, congratulations to everyone at the Stroll family for that momentous occasion. But he was there as a, as a friend of Lance and obviously, you know, a friend of the family. He was there attending that. It, as so happens, Daniel Ricciardo already had a seat fitting prior to the Miami weekend. You know, he was there with the Red Bull team as part of the third driver role, the reserve driver role that he has with the team, which of course includes the marketing element, but also a sporting one as well. And I think he was only meant to be att- attending so many races this season. I think it's like eight scheduled appearances as far as we're aware. Yeah. We've already had Australia, obviously his home race. He had had a seat fitting prior to that at the Red Bull um, because he is listed down as a Red Bull reserve driver, but he is also listed as a reserve driver to step in for either Yuki Tsunoda or Nick DeVries if something should happen to them, you know, touch wood on that one. But at the same time, you know, people are trying to, put two and two together, they come up with five. So, you know, those rumours weren't exactly true in terms of Ricardo was there for a seat fitting at the time. 
He's also had a few goes at the simulator and, you know, stories that I had heard from sources close to Daniel Ricciardo were saying at the start, it was absolutely dreadful. And I'm paraphrasing because there was a few expletives mentioned in that particular quote. Over time, things have progressed and improved, but I don't think Red Bull are in any position or even Alpha Tauri to just throw Daniel Ricciardo at the last minute into the seat. Now, talking about Nick DeVries, of course, the concern regarding his potential future of the team is very, very real from what we understand. Even though I think it's unlikely that he would be replaced by Daniel Ricciardo on a permanent basis, there are rumours and reports suggesting that this has come mainly from Dr. Helmut Marco, who oversees the, uh, the Youth Academy, if you like, or the Reserve Driver Academy at Red Bull, uh, which includes AlphaTauri, of course, and, and the likes of Liam Lawson and Naomi Owasu. Helmut Marco is less than impressed with, with Nick DeVries' start to this season, and which is a shame because he was a very big backer of Nick DeVries, especially after that standout performance in Monza, where he practically got in the car on Saturday morning and then to replace Alex Albon, and not only qualified reasonably well, but did a brilliant job in the race to get into P9. And I know a lot of people will say, oh, well, you can't judge it on one performance alone. You do need a consistent run of performances to get a real indication of how good the driver is. And if there was one circuit where Williams were going to excel, it was always going to be Monza, given the issues and the weaknesses of their car. At the same time, though, that was an incredibly impressive drive from Nick DeVries, one that certainly raised a few eyebrows. And on top of all of that, Nick had experience in racing these current Formula One cars, you know, testing for Aston Martin, Mercedes, Williams, no less. And I think he did run even in the Alpine, possibly, um, when they were looking for uh, their replacement driver, when Piastri decided he wasn't going to join them in 2023. So there's a lot to unpack there. And it's and it's quite strange how soon... In particular, Dr. Helmut Marco seems to be losing faith in Nick DeVries. And the story right now, Lee, is that Nick DeVries potentially has only three races left to convince Alvatari and perhaps by extension Red Bull that he is still worthy of driving in that car. And we've got until the, the Spanish Grand Prix in a few weeks' time to, to see if he's going to stick around or not. Yeah, it's what three races to, obviously, as I alluded to earlier, it's going to be very hectic for the teams. So it has to be on top of it. But the the three race limit, if that's true, that we, we're hearing, I mean, I just think it's such a bad three races. Um, mainly not so much because of Imola and Barcelona, but the Monaco in the middle. Um, and our, our next format street circuits this season, that's normally ended up in at least one crash. And you think, Back to back, if he crushes out in Monaco, which obviously I'm not trying to spoil um, Monaco's uh, preview, but it crashes out, and then that may impact the bus in a week later, and if he, and it's oh, it could be a really nasty triple header for him if it goes bad. Um, but if he gets a run going, he has a really good race this weekend. It builds his confidence, and he has it. It could save him. It could go either way, but it's just the fact it's a triple header. It's it's such a ooh, feeling moment. It's not really conveying the the emotion or at least my thoughts behind it. Um, but I wouldn't want to be Nick right now. That's the only way I could describe it. Yeah, I mean, if this is true, I do not see the logic in trying to put this much pressure on a driver so early in the season in order to save his seat. And how often, Lee, have we 
seen reports of the riot act being read to certain drivers and then they go on from that to not only save their seat but bigger and better things within the team very rarely happens so i don't see the logic in it i really don't see the logic in putting daniel ricardo into that seat to replace him in a few races time i don't think daniel expected to be in a position where this was a possibility i think he very much had his eyes on 2024 as you mentioned already he wasn't eyeing up a seat at a lesser team with all respect to Alpha Tauri and even Haas, a team that he was heavily linked to at the, at the back end of 2023. He doesn't want to drive for those teams. He wants to drive for bigger teams that match the ambition that he still has in Formula 1 if there is still some left. We'll have to wait and see how that pans out. So I, I don't see the point in putting Ricardo in that car. I think more likely an option like Liam Lawson, who's doing really well in Japanese Super Formula. Red Bull obviously got tabs on him as one of their young drivers. He seems to be doing well there. I heard an outside chance of Aomu Iwasa, who's doing well in F2 right now. I probably would just leave that alone until the end of the season. So if you're going to put anyone in that car to replace Nick DeVries, I think it has to be Liam Lawson. That said, I think every driver in their first season of Formula 1, at the very least, deserves a whole season. I mean... Nick, you know, he's not doing great at the moment. and He's having a hard time finding his feet. I do feel part of that is because Yuki Tsunoda is doing a very, very good job and we're seeing the real Yuki Tsunoda step up now. It's come at a bad time for Nick DeVries, but I still think he deserves the opportunity for the season. I mean, it's not like he's doing anything ridiculously stupid like what Mazepin was doing, for example, when he was in Formula One and a few other, you know, I, I could go on, but I've seen much worse drivers with better cars than Nick DeVries at this point in time. So I think you need to give him to the end of the season, surely. Yeah, well, and as you said, very least, it probably should be half a season at the very least, not just five races. Um, and not a whole season would be nice, but we know, I think it was Brendan Hartley who... Same yeah, thing. He yeah. had half a season and then that was it. And so even Brendan got more um, race time than Nick before the, the decision was made. So. Yeah, it does. As I said, I don't wouldn't want to be Nick right now. It's not. It's not fair. I mean, Rebel aren't fair in their young driver program. Um, it's something that they've been known, Kwiatkowski uh, and how Rufus have been, as I already mentioned. I mean, personally, I would just I just want Sebastian Vettel back. They should just uh, bring him back to the <laughs> Rebel family. And yeah, um, obviously, there's some rumors that he's going to replace Helmut Marker as the Red Bull sport. I just stick him in the Atari. And there, there we go. Make plenty of fans happy. It would be interesting to see how that goes. I mean, say what you want about Dr. Helmut Marco. Maybe he is lacking a little bit of compassion in this situation, but there's no questioning that he's a very intelligent man, perhaps not in public, in front of a microphone. He tends to have a way with words, as I'm sure many people will attest to. But at the same time, he has been a big part of the success at Red Bull and he will act according to what he thinks is best for the team. Um, especially being a you know very very close personal friend to the late Dietrich Mateschitz as well, so you know he's got Red Bull's best interest at heart. But I'm not sure if the rumours do have a level of integrity to them that this would be a sensible move to not only get rid of a driver like Nick DeVries so soon, but put the pressure on him right now. You, yes, you can have a firm hand on the situation, but I feel like it's one where you have to say, look, I know it's not been great, but you need to get over it, pick yourself up and show the pace that we know you've got. And then if you like half a season in Lee, summer break, we can then assess. And if he's not, if he's continuing to underperform and crash the car regularly like he has been, 
then fair enough. But no, not after, what, was it going to be eight races into the season? That's absolutely crazy. Um, but let us know your thoughts, guys, in the comment section. Um, what what are your thoughts on Nick DeVries right now? And if Ricardo is available, would you bring him in next season? I have to wait and see. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Next question comes in, and this is regarding the new qualifying rule that's going to be trialed this weekend at the Emily Grand Prix. And, and this was something that we'd heard about for a while, Lee, that we thought they were going to be bringing in. But the question is, will the new qualifying tyre rule being trialed this weekend affect the pecking order. Now, just to add a bit of clarity for this as well, what are we talking about? Well, Pirelli and F1 are experimenting a new tyre rule this weekend, which is very similar to what we saw in qualifying, in the spring qualifying at least, at Baku, which was basically Q1, all the drivers are going to be going out on hard tyres, Q2 is going to be mediums, and Q3 it's going to be softs. Now, as far as I'm aware, Lee, I haven't read the rule book on this one. I don't believe it's mandatory to have a new set of tyres of each compound for this particular sessions. I'm sure the teams and drivers would want that, but I don't think it's mandated unless I'm mistaken on this one. So what do you reckon? Is there a potential that this could shake up the pecking order a little bit? Well, firstly, I don't want to add the caveat that if the current forecast is correct, they may not even get to run <laughs> That's dry tyres. That's true. It could be wet weather. Um, and of course, they are bringing a new a better compound of wet tyres, I think full wets for this weekend, where they they don't need the the blankets, the tyre blankets, so they can just warm up much easier. So, uh, yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, um, well, they'll be testing, maybe testing another tyre in qualifying, um, but they may have mandated this rule change, and as I said, they may not get it to even use it. So that's the first uh, caveat. But ignoring, say it's completely dry and there's no wet um, qualifying, it could be interesting. I mean, it was different seeing that kind of in the sprint um, qualifying. Um, having over a full qualifying session, how much it will shake up. I think, as we said in the sprint qualifying, it's all going to be about tyre warm-up, especially on the harder tyres, about what they can unlock in that Q1 element. So you, we may get some surprises uh, in the tyre warm-up stage. Um, I mean, until well, I mean, don't know. We don't know if Miami was a one-off, but Ferrari so far this season have struggled with tire issues. Um, they've either chewed through them too quickly because they've warmed up too much, or they can't get them switched on. But I'm just using Ferrari as this example. Yeah, you could have a surprise that Ferrari go out. Well, they can't get. And that's not a prediction. I'm just saying. As no, no, I, I get it. It's just one thing. I think one thing just to defend Ferrari here, they've actually been good at is getting the tyres warmed up very quickly. The problem is, is as you said, they, they chew through them so quickly, probably because they put so much load onto them. Yeah, okay. Uh, maybe bad example. Um, I'm just going off the top of my I head I think there. this is a good thing for Ferrari, mind you, but um, I suppose we'll have to wait and see on Saturday if um, this actually works. Yeah, the... So you've just ruined my complete example. I can't think of another team with time management issues. Well, th- um, let's go Red Bull. But you could get a surprise uh, yeah. in Q1, but get through Q2 and Q3. 
especially yeah, I don't think surprise. I think it's key ones that are really gonna be the surprise on the the harder tires. Um I believe it's also down to enabling Pirelli to measure the loads on the tires because of the, the 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 lap time has been such a, a such a greater gain over the predictions into this year. Um that it's called Pirelli out and obviously not that they want expecting um tire failures, they need time running of all the tire types because this kind of year that they're already planning next year's tires. So you're getting good lap time gives probably to um, gather a lot of data. Um, or at least that's the, what I've uh, been hearing. But um, uh, it's going to be interesting. I know they've got another one later in the year as well. I believe it's a two, twice they're going to try it this year. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what that is yet. I know Pirelli were planning to bring more robust tyres at the British Grand Prix. And I think that is kind of targeted to try and prevent teams from going medium hards and doing a one-stop race to try and encourage them to use a softer compound of tyres and create more exciting racing. I suppose we'll have to wait and see. But with this particular rule change that they're trialling, I don't have a problem with it in terms of, you know, there'll be people thinking that these sorts of sudden rule changes or tweaks, if you like, are brought to try and create artificial excitement in racing because the current regulations are making races boring or people aren't excited by certain elements of it now i think as you mentioned already with tie warm-ups and other bits like that it will make things interesting at least in q1 and q2 because we may have a potential for some teams that have a harder time to warm up their tires extract their better performance on the harder compounds like the hards and mediums on the soft tires in q3 the status quo will remain so we don't have to worry about that. The aim of this, obviously, is to try and improve the environmental carbon footprint, if you like. Uh, I think the teams are going to have two less sets of tyres this weekend. Yeah. Instead of 13, they're going to have 11. As you mentioned, Lee, it may not even matter if the session is completely wet. I know we've had reports of severe flooding at Imola uh, recently. And, of course, today, at the time of recording, there was a report from Chris Medland, the F1 journalist, that the teams and personnel had to evacuate the circuit that was there already on Tuesday at the time of recording this in order to, uh, you know, prevent any concerns or issues being raised by the flooding. So it could be a complete washout, no pun intended, and we may not know, but I don't have a problem with them giving this a chance. We saw it in sprint qualifying to a degree and it, and I thought it was okay. Didn't really change too much for me. So, you know what, if it works, why not? It's always a good cause to protect the environment. Let's move on to our final question before we do our predictions for this preview and it's regarding the upgrades or potential upgrades that we're going to see from a few teams but two in particular and this question comes into us and says do you think the potential upgrades this weekend from Ferrari and Mercedes close the gap to Red Bull or could close the gap to Red Bull um that's a tough one Lee isn't it because I think probably need to understand the purpose of these upgrades and Mercedes and Ferrari have been speaking for a while about these upgrades and what they would like to call their first iterations on how to address the issues with their current car and hopefully put them on the right path to try and bring them closer to Red Bull and be competitive with them in the future. 
more so that than actually trying to close the gap in the short term on this one. These seem more exploratory upgrades, um, as we saw from Ferrari of Miami, for example, and Brunetia, what got there. So, um, I mean, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I, as you said, Ferrari and Mercedes have been downplaying. And on the, the same time, obviously, um, Red Bull have been up playing that they're expecting these upgrades to bring them into the title fight. I probably agree more with Mercedes and, and Ferrari that it's going to be, a, as you said, exploratory about just stabilizing where they want to lead their development path. They may actually, especially this on the first weekend, they may actually find that they lose some lap time compared to previous races because they don't understand the car. They've cha- um, they're changing it so much that the, their setup um, that they've worked the last few races is, will be um, completely different. So they find they can't get that sweet spot and they may actually go backwards for one race. Um, and I, I think that's more likely than them finding a big chunk, chunk of lap time, a silver bullet, so to speak. That's all of a sudden they're fighting for pole. I say that's applies to Mercedes. Ferrari have already fought for pole and got a, a pole position, so <laughs> they they've already got that tick, checkbox ticked for the season. But race wins, especially fight both teams. I don't think they'll be fight, fighting for the the race win. It's not going to um, uh, give them that uh, big magic bullet, silver bullet, not magic bullet. Um, so it's really trying to develop the car long term and their complete their upgrade plan to close the gap but the first one i really don't expect it to uh be closing the gap yeah absolutely and you know just for clarity of to what we're talking about when we're saying that these are more exploratory upgrades rather than ones focused at performance solely we have to go back to the miami debrief youtube video that we saw on mercedes youtube channel and, and james allison used to do a lot of these he was really really good I know um, their engineering director, Andrew Shovelin, has taken on that responsibility. And I'm going to read a quote from the YouTube video of him talking about these upgrades for Imla. And he was saying, well, if we go all the way back to the Bahrain test, the Bahrain race, that was when we realized that we didn't have a package that was going to allow us to fight for a world championship. And then he went on to say, but the Imola package will be the first step in that new direction. We're hoping to bring other upgrades later in the year. We do hope that it is quicker. We hope it's better in terms of qualifying and race pace. But as I said, the key thing is not just looking at bringing a lap time update. We are looking to head off in a different development direction, one that we think gives us a better chance in the long term of being able to challenge for race wins and world championships. And to be fairly, that makes a lot of sense to me. Ferrari are going in the same sort of direction with exploratory upgrades, ones that may produce some lap time and performance, but we're talking perhaps a tenth here or there, nothing crazy or major that's going to close the gap to Red Bull. Um, Ferrari are bringing updates to their floor. They're going to bring more updates to their floor, including a new rear suspension, and then there's going to be a diffuser update coming in Barcelona. It sounds really exciting. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to undersell this if you're a Mercedes or Ferrari fan hoping that both or one of your teams whichever you support is going to make a big step forward at this similar race or at least by the end of the European part of the season or the summer break they'll be right there with Red Bull honestly I can't really see that happening in the short term but the best case scenario is for these guys is that if these upgrades do provide some performance advantage or improvement if you like and they confirm that the concept or direction that both those teams are pursuing is the right one to challenge Red Bull by the end of 2023 or 2024. That's obviously the objective right now. 
So I definitely think there's a lot riding on these upgrades, but if anybody really thinks that either one of these two teams is going to be fighting for the race lead on merit from these upgrades, then unfortunately I think you're going to be disappointed by the end of the weekend. Yeah, it, it, unfortunately I do agree with you. Obviously from an entertainment and close racing, that'd be nice, but um, it's going to be very key. It's about the, as you said, 24. This is all about 24. Um, you're probably better situation to describe Ferrari. Uh, so I'll leave that for you. But Mercedes, they're so... They don't understand their car. They don't have a balanced car. Not obviously talking about the motion, which is obviously part of it. That obviously the nose goes down under braking compared to like the Red Bull and the ride height. So getting it, the car in a more stable situation, especially under braking, means about less downforce in the rear of the car, which means obviously less draggy, which means a higher top speed. So it's all these fundamentals of the Mercedes that they need to understand and this is what the upgrade hopefully can prove that they understand where they've gone wrong understand where they can then get a stable car to then bring speed later in the season um with ferrari um you can maybe explain a bit more what they're trying to aim on that well i mean there's a good i mean there are similarities between what mercedes and ferrari are trying to achieve with this batch of upgrades mercedes is simply they've acknowledged that the concept of their car is wrong they're changing that or looking to improve it to make them more competitive. And these new upgrades are set at exploring whether or not they're going in the right direction. And then they'll either progress with that route, or if they're not quite delivering what they'd hope, they may have a backup solution or something they can do later in the year. They can't produce a B-spec car like they used to be able to. I think a lot of fans that come into the sport over the last few years will look at what Mercedes have done when they've turned up to testing with a decent car that's on the fringes of being the fastest and then they'll bring a B-spec car a few months or so later and all of a sudden they're dominating again. That can't happen anymore. You know, in this era of Formula 1 with a cost cap, it's just not possible to do that. So this is what Mercedes are trying to do. Hopefully for their sake, it works out for them. Ferrari, on the other hand, it's more a case of, you know, rather than trying to explore a new concept, they're still trying to make their current concept work or at least take it in a direction which allows them to extract the absolute potential out of this concept. And I think it's fair to say with Ferrari, they've not really been able to do that, except for one lap pace. And we know over one lap, it's the second fastest car on the grid right now. Sometimes in Charles Leclerc's hands in particular, it's good enough to be on pole position. And we saw that in Baku. You know, that was certainly not a fluke. But the issue with the Ferrari is that it's unpredictable, it's unstable, it's either really quick or really slow, and it chews us up its tyres, so it makes strategies on race day very, very difficult, and it also makes driving the car very difficult. Um, Leclerc was complaining about oversteer and understeer. Anyone that watched the 2014 Ferrari F14T will know how incredibly difficult it was for Fernando Alonso to get to grips with that car, and Kimi Raikkonen for that matter as well. So, different objectives for both these teams, but ultimately... I don't think either of us, Lee, or anyone that's in the know are expecting Mercedes and Ferrari to suddenly be fighting for a race win on merit this weekend. Yeah, no, I'm unfortunately not. Although, as I did mention, it'd be entertaining. So no, It would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wait and see. Yeah, I'm certainly, don't get me wrong. I mean, if we're wrong, I would love to be wrong on this one. Honestly, I really, really would. But um, yeah, I think if you're a Red Bull fan, or even an Aston Martin fan, I think you can breathe a sigh of relief, not panic too much. 
Um, I'm not expecting Ferrari or Mercedes to make a huge leap forward. And we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. Goodbye. Podcast Network.